let's uh, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for this four weeks in the book of Jonah. We're grateful for the ministry that his reactions have been to us. We'd ask that you would take us through to the end in um, chapter 4 and we would be uh, comfortable with the growth that he has gone through spiritually. And that we have too. In your son's name, amen. Uh, last chapter of Jonah. Um, it's a pretty easy to break down book. Get swallowed by a whale. Say you're sorry. Get spit out by a whale. Go make the trip you were supposed to make. I feel this because I have to go to L.A. tomorrow. And uh, the people that you preach to repent. God says, great. Forgives them. Turns aside from his wrath. And verse 1 of chapter 4 says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And what the previous verse, in case we don't remember the previous verse, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God repented of the evil which he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Then, Jonah has this very negative reaction, exceedingly displeased, to the point of angry. Now, I don't know if you've ever been angry with God. Um, I've known people that have been angry with God. So angry that their, their prayers carried that anger. They sounded as if they were just better artists, like the psalmist sometimes. You know, laying out that sense of injustice, that sense of it being done wrong to them. And we have just watched God's displeasure with Nineveh um, get rectified by Nineveh's repentance. And it becomes the pleasure of God, essentially, if you want to, that God is pleased with having seen this. And it displeases Jonah. I mean, that's a pretty easy bit of math to do about, at least applicably in our own lives, that we, um, when we get displeased with what God has done, the question in, my, the, in the back pew, someone might say, well, well, who's right? Well, guess what? And when we look at it, it the, the problem is that the, the displeasure we have with God, oddly enough, seems righteous to us. When, when, you, when you feel that uh, objection, it's not like I really wanted to get drunk and write bad checks and God won't let me. You never trot something out like that. It's clear that I wanted to be a Nazi and God doesn't let me be a Nazi. Jonah's displeasure exceedingly um, something is happening that is oh, you're I had notes here but they got Ah. Uh, the exceeding displeasure to the point of anger is a righteous position. 
it's not Jonah defending wickedness. It's Jonah ticked that God doesn't defend righteousness against the Ninevites, the Assyrians, with quite the alacrity that Jonah would have. And you see that when he prays. And he prayed to the Lord and said, I pray thee, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? There is a lecturing God on this moment. Didn't I tell you that you would make this boneheaded move? It tells us, if you read back into it, why did Jonah run? He doesn't think God can handle this. The way God is, is not righteous enough in Jonah's mind. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew, listen to this, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and repentest of evil. I knew you were that. I knew you were that. And that weakness is unacceptable for the truly righteous. Jonah, you know, these prophets, a lot of times, I mean, they would, they would calling down destruction on things. You know, so guys, the prophets that were bought out by Ahab before the, he dies at Ramoth Gilead, he's saying, they're saying all sorts of nice things. What if you ever have a prophet saying nice things? He's probably paid for it. So Jonah has got a mentality on him where anger with God seems like it's the right thing. And this is, Jonah's theology of God is correct. He says, I knew you were this kind of God. We sometimes think that if you meet the truly holy, you will always have the right reaction. You look at that list and you're saying, you know, I, I'm sitting in the backyard in a home in North Idaho and I'm not really facing up to it like Jonah was, but that's a great list. Gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and repentest of evil. What's, what's, the, what's the object to? Well, we have the wrong reaction to true theology. There's sermon, there are notes right there if you want any, right by Manisha. Look back at what he says, this is the reason I ran away. We go back to chapter 1, and he says, he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. When God... God will many times do things you don't like. Um, sometimes he will be too merciful when you think he should be more just. Sometimes he'll be very just. A lot of Christians struggle. Who's the famous lunatic? Um, uh, Rob Bell. Uh, what's the name of his book? Love, Love, wins. Love Wins. Okay. I think he's somewhere in some book of his he denied hell. Because a lot of people have problems with hell. It's God's opinion about what you did, and he, he holds it at that level, and 
people might have an accurate understanding of God's position, but they make, they're making a judgment on him. Both of them, if God sent people to hell, he's not righteous. If he doesn't send people to hell, he's not righteous. And when we flee from the presence of the Lord, you could have very good theology. We're not, we're not having a problem with Jonah's list. Jonah just doesn't like the list. It displeased him exceedingly. And that's the, it displeased him exceedingly. Have you ever had a, like a young teenage girl in your house? Uh, which something could displease exceedingly? They get amazingly petulant, amazingly, you know, they, they can't believe this world can continue to revolve because somebody didn't do what, what they thought at 13 you ought to be doing. So when you flee from that, it's not, it's not that Jonah says, I think I can change God on this. With someone else like Moses, when God says he's going to destroy the Israelites, Moses intercedes for Israel and prays for them and talks God out of it. If you want to use that phrase, might be a little too light there, but uh, petition God to have mercy on them. When you know that you're, when it's your correct theology, but you don't think that God is as holy as you are, objection to hell, in other words, objection to God's justice, objection to God's mercy, both of those are righteous positions. You just have to talk to somebody against the death penalty. You find out how, you know really righteous they feel about it. So what are you going to do? You're trying to run. I mean, that goes back in the first chapter. Uh, fleeing from the presence of the Lord is because you are looking, at least emotionally, you might not think you could do it, but at least emotionally you're trying to get to a place where his characteristics can't displease you exceedingly anymore. And when... We don't often think or break down the, the, the nobility of our cause when we're angry with God. You, you want to be able to hold the 13-year-old girl's hand and say, Look, Skippy, this is the way it is. You're not all that. Matter of fact, you can lose a few pounds. You know, just you know, a little moment of honesty with them. A little moment of, of direct talk. Well, we know that Jonah and God are communicating directly. They're pretty intimate, you know, down to the belly of a whale. But we all want to get to a place that really, frankly, is run by our desires, where everything happens according to our hopes and expectations. That's, you know, years ago I was talking to a young woman who had a problem with crying over everything. And she couldn't understand why and uh, so every time she would start crying she'd come and talk to me I didn't enjoy it um, because I was supposed to be there to tell her why she was crying and she'd blubber out what had gone on and the main thing that communicated to her said the reason you're crying is you got a rotten view of reality you think X is gonna happen Y is what's gonna happen because that's what reality does 
It's going to roll in, doing what it does. You are not ready for it, ever. You are so wrong about everything you apprehend in life that everything is an insult and a surprise. And of course you're crying. All of us would if we had such a wrong view of the world. Well, you can't be a follower of Yahweh thinking he's unrighteous for his righteousness. Knowing that that's the reality that's in his presence, this is why I fled to Tarshish, he says. Because I knew this. So if I, if I can't change you, I can avoid you. And that's what happens. A lot of people, you don't see much great righteousness uh, presenting itself out of people who get angry with God for righteousness' sake. Because it's God's world and they try to avoid him, so what do they do? They avoid all those rotten Christians who talk about those qualities as if they were good. We're looking at the list and going, you know, if Jonah were here, we go, look, Jonah, these are really, really good. Well, Jonah doesn't want to hear that from you. He doesn't want to hear that lack of righteous indignation at Assyria. So, it's uh, going to be get away from it, which means if you don't flee to Tarshish, other end of the Mediterranean, other end of the world, going to the moon, basically, in that world, we just don't go to church, or we don't hang out with the believers, or we find a group of people that don't believe anything anyway that call themselves Christians, and pretty soon you're nothing left of a Christian. We run to our own pleasures because God's pleasures don't appeal to us because we were suckered in by this belief that we were holding a more righteous view. That's why we get angry anytime we get angry. That little lie, if you believe the devil tempts you to your basic temptations, that the devil tempts you to, is offers you a sin in the shape of a righteousness. The sin in the shape of virtue. Once we, uh, once we consider what's going on, because the first thing is, I'm, I'm, I'm just out of here. I mean, Jonah's, Jonah's first thing was, get on the ship, get out. Because he was moved by this. We find out in chapter 4, this is what moved him. Flee from the presence of the Lord, because the way the Lord was, was unacceptable to Jonah. So Jonah just didn't want it part of his reality, where he would preach to the Assyrians, 40 days the city will fall, then God would change his mind, because Jonah knew he was the kind of God who changed his mind. Now, on the surface, we would, we would say, as any, any God-fearers, we would say, well, don't we want to have his way of things? I mean, especially when you go back to that list. I mean, look at that list. Gracious, merciful, slow to anger, much unfailing love, and changing that reflects those things. Not changing that reflects change. I know some of you are believers in the doctrine of the immutability of God. God does not change, nor can he change. A Platonic notion, but uh, most of Christendom holds it. And so passages like this are a little awkward. But I don't want you to be thinking of it in those terms. 
I want you to think of that this change reflects these qualities, graciousness and mercy. Not change that says um, some um, uncertain principle of randomness or, or uh, a quirk in God's personality when he has a little deja vu moment or, or just gets off his rails a little bit and just does something different and takes all the bad people to heaven and sends all the good people to hell. Oops, changed my mind. <coughs> the changeableness is because of these qualities, because grace, mercy, slowness and anger, and a lot of love. What's the quote of a prophet, one of your own? Whole lot of love. Some of you, the older ones can tell. Okay. It's a whole lot of love. That's why he repentest of evil. Again, the evil is calamity, not he said he's sorry for sinning against Jonah. No, he repentest of the calamity he was going to do to Nineveh. Now, once you would start examining the righteousness of Jonah, our, 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 our pleasures, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, which meant Jonah had a pleasure that would please him exceedingly. How long could you talk about how we would design the world in virtue? How long we would design the world in virtue? They would hold up to the same scrutiny. Jonah seems to feel it. Therefore now, O Lord, take my life from me. I beseech thee, for it is better for me to die than to live. That's what made me think of the 13-year-old girl. <laughs> she is just, she's had it. I, I can't believe God. I knew he would do this. Dad is always this way. He doesn't understand me. He doesn't know I'm in love. And the Lord said, like a good father would, do you do well to be angry? I mean, it's, we don't often examine. I was, you know that if anybody who's heard me in recent years has, knows that I'm on a kick. And one of the kicks is um, there are inertial forces for ideas and, and actions, and one of them is passion and it's not recommended by the scripture. There's also reason, there's also authority, there's also habit. Um, varying degrees of all of them are okay in certain circumstances, but the person who lives the passionate lifestyle, who doesn't know why anything is the case, can't turn to reason or the revelation of God for clarity about what they're up to. And the question, do you do well to be angry? I mean, is this a... Because if you think back to this moment, it's not just a Jewish prophet with problematic attitudes. It's where he thinks he is better than God. He knows he can't win the fight. He knows he has to run. But he explains to God when he is humbled in the belly of the whale and then brought back to do what he had vowed. He does it. But that didn't change his opinion. 
his righteousness, uh, um, he's restored to God, he's going to be obedient, but he has an opinion. When you're asked, do you do well to be angry? How many of uh, uh, you probably all have counseled a friend of varying degrees of emotional train wreck? And this question, whatever is on the table, tell me, do you do well to be this bitter, this annoyed, this? Do you, are you doing well? Is this a, a, a good and godly thing you are doing and thinking and feeling? Is it? Describe it to me. Describe how good it is. Because when God describes, when even when Jonah describes God objecting to him, even when Jonah describes God object, objecting to him, he's got this great list. So if you've got a list that you're saying, this is driving me, I can't tolerate what God requires of me, yes, I would have to flee the presence of the Lord. I have something here on the right-hand side from Psalm 77. It's the sec center section of the psalm. And Asaph, this is a psalm of Asaph, Verse 6, I commune with my heart in the night. I meditate and search my spirit. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. And I say, it is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord, yea, I will remember thy wonders of old. Now what's interesting here is the psalmist is, is facing up to something that is, it looks like God's not reacting like God. And he's wondering, is the steadfast love, one of the things that Jonah lists the steadfast love of God. His grace, forgotten to be gracious, compassion. And then he worries, and this brings up the question again, that the right hand of the Most High has changed. Because as Christians, we have to affirm that he's not a man that he should change. Okay, we know that the scriptures tell us that God is dependable. One of the things on the list is steadfast love. Steadfast. That means you can count on it. The psalmist is wondering about that. The most problem with, this is probably part of the problem with uh, philosophers. They created a philosophic category called change and then they argued as to whether or not in any sense it was possible for God. Rather than saying no, because one of his qualities is that he repentest, and one of his qualities is that he doesn't change. If the Platonists had answered the question, if a God is merciful, can he be an unchangingly merciful God? I mean, that, that's what you, you're basically saying, not 
does God change? But what does God change about, and what will he not change about? The psalmist here is concerned that he has changed about his, about his changeability. He's saying his grace, his steadfast love, his, his uh, um, compassion, his reaching out to people who don't deserve it, when they, he should just send us all to the bad place right now, we're discovering when we dis- part of this is about discovering a personality in God, not a personality like is he sanguine? Uh, no, God as a person who functions in the cosmos. That he is as he is. He's not alive merely to please the definitions of the philosophers or the theologians. He is as he has revealed himself to be. And that revelation, Asaph, in verse 11, I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. And he goes back over the next few verses and, and uh, starts to think about, no, God has faithfully done this for his people. He was a little worried himself. <coughs> a different kind of change had taken place. That, that there had been change in his changeability. I don't. That gets a little bit sound of one hand clapping at a certain point, but um, uh, change in God's changeability worries Asaph. He wants to know if the kind of God he worships is still there. And once he goes back and looks at God's faithful, steadfast love down through history for His people, it reassures him. But it's something we have. The main point is not that. God is unchangeably changeable, and he will not change from change. Will not change from changing. Certain things. But the key thing is the psalmist has contemplated it. The psalmist, if he was asked, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be concerned? The psalmist has communed with my heart in the night and meditated and searched my spirit I'm, and then I go and do homework. I go back and start listing the deeds of the Lord. Because you got a couple of tasks. One is, to, what's the, the famous line from the classics? Know thyself. Know yourself. Know what you're up to. Know what kind of demigod you think you are. Are you a 13-year-old girl? Know who your God is. No, do the work that it requ- that that we're required to do to think about man's uh, relationship with his God. Relationship at all? I don't know if you ever think about the magic that's occurring right now. Each one of you, ever ever think of that when you're like seventeen? We were first thinking about big thoughts and things. You mean other people are aware of their existence? I am. I mean, other people look out their eyes and see things and feel. You're not just props in my dramatic life. Maybe you are just props in my dramatic life, but thank you for coming. Um, you begin to realize how weird it is that other autonomous, discreet, unconnected souls there are. People in relationships 
like husbands and wives and such, are trying to reach a certain point of understanding and bond. Friends are doing the same thing. Fellowship of believers trying to do the same thing. We're trying to figure out how to be a body where we communicate like a body. And the gruntings we make that are then understood by the other person, we have to bark across an emptiness. No, no controls other than the, the hearing capability of the other person and what they think the words mean. It's, an, it's a miracle. Autonomy broken down is a miracle. And we have God, when he made man, made, put this into being where there was this gap that needed to be closed and your followers of Yahweh and consequently ought to be about closing it. Partially, you know, Jonah initially wants to close it by, okay, do what I'm told, but I'm not going to like it. I, ra I ran away once, I won't run away again, but heaven's sake, you got to quit this nonsense. He's trying to make God like the 13-year-old girl for have dad pony up and let her go out to the prom with this 25-year-old. That's what, that's what's going down. Verse 5, then Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And I, think, I think back in those days, well, no, I don't know which side of the river Nineveh was on, so I won't make any claims. Whatever the case, he's east of the city. Sometimes east is also translated the front of the city, like out the front gates. And made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could, till he could see what would become of the city. That's storming off to the bedroom. I'll just wait. You know how I feel about this, Dad. There's a, there's a, the same sort of thing happens, not the same sort of thing, a very different thing happens when David is told that his child is going to die and he goes and he fasts and he prays in the temple, petitioning God for the life of the child. For perhaps God will turn from his fierce wrath and the child's life be preserved. He was hoping to change the mind of God. It didn't change the mind of God. God, the child still died. Now, there's a, there's a difference. You notice that Jonah is not arguing a platonic desire that God, now that you've made up your mind on Nineveh, dear heavens, don't change because that would just disrupt my viewpoint even more. It's not change that he's concerned about. It's mercy he's concerned about. It is a change, but mercy. If God changed back, he said, okay, I'm going to destroy him anyway. Jonah will yes. I'll sit out there in my little booth, my little lean-to, I guess you would call it. A little lean-to outside the city, just like you'd expect a lunatic, you know, prophet to do. But it probably had a great effect because the Ninevites are all respecting Jonah now. They all repent, repented at his teaching. We're, uh, not done with, you see, what God, this, this, this book is so little about the Ninevites, about the Assyrians, and so much about God's relationship to Jonah. 
and what Jonah has to learn. And the Lord God appointed a plant. Appointed a plant. I don't know what the, any other words would be synonymous with that. Appointed a plant. So out of, you would take God's bag of tricks, he's sitting in this booth, it's designed like this to offer some shade, probably has a few, you know, uprights and some sticks that break up the sunlight of northern Iraq. Not a fine place to hang out, I'm sure. Were you in Mosul at all? I was in, it was in Afghanistan. You were in Afghanistan, okay. Never mind, different country, right? Yeah. <laughs> same dust, same dirt. But you can break up that. Well, we tried to hear on our uh, our pergola. We had the pergola designed with the open beams and found out in the dead of summer that sun is just beating right down on you and the concrete, turning it into a griddle. So Leslie got a, a umbrella fabric from Costco and we stretched it over the top of that. That is Leslie appointed umbrella fabric. Here, God appointed a plant and it made it, and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah, I like this, was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Jonah is um, a very feeling person, exceedingly displeased and angry at God, exceedingly pleased with his book. Are you the kind of person who's exceedingly about anything? Pleased or not pleased? Just a little too exceeding? A little too... Um, too many of the feels? But I, I like the fact, you know, as you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not reformed. So for me, I look at this appointment of the plant as a unique appointment of a plant. Not that a plant came up and since everything is appointed, it's appointed. But no, this, and if you are a reform, consider this some uniquely active choice that God is making for Jonah. He's pointing this lesson at Jonah. And when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm. This dance isn't done. I have a, <coughs> a crawling vine. <coughs> I don't know what it is. Over the last three years, it has come out of the earth over there by the spruce and grabbed the bottom branches and it's like a rapid growing kudzu, you know, uh, like a grapevine. It's not grapes, but it's something that's vineage and, and tendrils and the like. It's amazing how fast that came up. You couldn't, you could almost watch it grow. Now, it's just a couple of days and I have a plant that was full size over there. This was probably faster. This plant came up. Gets through one day. He's got this extra big leaves of a, of a vine. And then this worm shows up, also appointed. Attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, and we know that from the, how the weather changes here. The sun comes up and boom, the cool of the morning gone. And the sun God, oh, God appointed a sultry east wind. Something, I like this steady breeze. Now, I was in the desert when I was in the Navy because I never went to sea and I went to the desert. And 
when it's 120 in the desert and you ride your motorcycle, it doesn't help. It just feels like a blast furnace. It feels like a blow dryer. It's hot. And that's what God is privileged to give Jonah. Because he not only, he said, I have the plant so that to save him from his discomfort, he recognizes that and has his giddy little clapping his pudgy hands together over his plant. And God said, I'm going to take this down one day. And I'm going to add that sultry east wind in there just to, just, just to make it a little muggy. Because what's 120 with no shade if it's not muggy too? The sun beat upon the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. This guy is really a drama queen about... He, he wanted to die when he didn't get his way with Nineveh. I mean, how can I? You have to understand, a prophet's stock and trade is saying things that happen before they happen. And if God's going to pull the rug out from under Jonah, Jonah's resume says, yeah, I'm pretty good, except for that Nineveh one. I was uh, wrong on that. 40 days, and it's because God changed on the matter. It might affect him that way, but I also think that we're really not dealing with his, his view of himself as a, as a prophet. It is better for me to die than to live. And jo God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Look at the patterns here. You're seeing the anger throughout this passage. You're seeing the appointment. The word appointed, got appointed, got appointed, got appointed. Yet the phrase, do you do well? Have you stopped to recognize? And Jonah gives the, do you angry for the plan? And he said, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. You've probably realized that when, what's that, I think it was a meme on the internet. Uh, when your wife is really annoyed, just tell her, honey, I think you're overreacting. And she'll go, oh, yeah, you're probably right. No, what actually happens? You, you live in purgatory for the next, you know, 10, 15 years. Because you said that. Honey, I thought you were overreacting. God's asking a direct question. We, because we didn't get disappointed in our prophecy over the Assyrians, get to watch it happen. And watch, I don't really admire Jonah now, do I? And I don't think you ought to be admiring Jonah's, you might say, imitators. If it happens to be you, you might want to correct it. Do you do well to be angry? And he goes, yes, so angry I should die. Because I, you know, okay, I, I, as I've told you before, I haven't lost my temper since 1969. And... So I'm not really the person to ask uh, about how that feels. Some of you have been angry more recently. I won't ask how recently. But there is something about anger that huge, sacrificial, righteous claims of what you're willing to have happen to, 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 to add to the spittle coming out of your mouth as you curse. You just wanna, you want to have the world go up in red flame because you're angry. But it tells us 
We know this. We know the circumstance with Jonah. He's got a more righteous standard than God's. That that if you learn anything tonight, say you know I may not have a more righteous standard than God's because it really doesn't. Once you have a more righteous standard than God's, um, uh, you are only just a very conceited and opinionated person. That's it. Very conceited. What's that line out of Jonah? He's not Jonah. This is Jonah. I'm thinking Job, that other J, J book. Right when uh, Elihu finishes, therefore men fear him. He does really not regard any who are wise in their own conceit. And that's God looking at you when you're angry over God's failure to be as righteous as you. I, I, have I mentioned before that I think that's what Satan's fall was based on? Because it was always hard for me to explain why Satan and a third of the angels would fall from heaven having been in the presence of God. You know, that, that, that what they knew of the glory of God, how could they fall? How could they choose that? And I think the only way they could is if they thought they were more right, not wanted to be more wrong. Now, you might not agree with that, but I think that's uh, one of the possibilities. But when we have this, when we have this anger, um, at the way God has handled it, either too much mercy, too much justice, um, it's because you have some standards that you feel you need to have met. James 1, 19 on the right hand side. Know this, my beloved brethren. Let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rank growth of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Therefore, put away and put on something. Receive, put away, and receive. So your basic task when you know you're of this sort of person, or if you're not, but you've counseled this sort of person who cannot but think that their own emotional valuation or judgment of others needs to be met in the cosmos or things aren't right in the cosmos. The realization that these are things the slow God qualities, slow to anger, and is recommending in James that you be slow to anger. It, it, it lets you know that you're quick to hear, that that you've got this this judgment that desires something else, and you realize that you are trying to change who how you view your world in accordance with the word. It's no longer passion, it's now revelation. Just because you feel strongly does not make an idea true. It has to be revelation from God or it has to be reason. Now, if we had gotten this little lesson on the plant, because these are good. Have you, have you ever have you ever done that with somebody? Maybe you've done this. 
where you change the subject and you make them the... I often do it with... Uh, well, I've talked to uh, Christian wives. I don't mean to get into this, so don't beat me up afterwards. But a lot of Christian wives struggle with the teaching in Ephesians 5 about wives submit yourselves to the, your husbands in every respect. And, uh, and they go, what, is, what if he's not, what if this, what is that? I said, well, uh, just do it the way you would expect your children to do to you. What kind of obedience do you want out of your children? Do you want it to be instant and joyful? Of course every mother would like obedience. Come here, Nathan, if it's Nathan. Uh, Toby. What's are some other names that are too close to people I know? Skippy. Skippy's always a good name. Skippy, uh, come here, Skippy. Skippy doesn't, doesn't do it. I remember Doug getting a spanking years ago because Dad often tells the story, and I remember the event, where he, Doug did not move with enough alacrity at the call of his mother to come get a bath. He got spanked up the stairs. The alacrity changed. My dad knew that he had sinned in regard to it, but nonetheless, what you want, what you want, and I... And I know this, uh, Graham did it once. Mother was calling me the same thing. Hey, come in for your bath. And I'm sitting there with Graham, and he's not moving. He's not moving at all. I can hear Leslie. I know he can hear Leslie, but he's not moving. And I was about to get all, you know, righteousness on him. And then I remembered my dad's story and uh, said, spare myself that. But we know what kind of obedience we want. We tell a story in a different circumstance create another lower level issue. That's what God has done. He says, look, we have this plant grow and then have it eaten by a worm and then you, you get this hot wind and, and now how do you feel? Well, I'm ticked. The Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. I mean, talk about minor. And some of the circumstances we face where we know what the righteous act would be are great illustrations for what God is doing, in a, in a sense. When we take on the role of God, we carry some of the same quality. The only problem is it's not that, that we have always bad judgment, is that we're not God. We don't have the power to do it. We don't have the righteousness or the wisdom to do it. When we get, you might say, divine anger. Have you ever found out that someone that you were really close to had violated a law? crime that they had been arrested for. And suddenly your law and order stand as a good Republican shifted, that more mercy be extended. We know when we want to give mercy, we want to be, and we think when we want to give mercy, when it's your kids in school getting into trouble, well, you should give them another chance. Don't kick them, don't suspend them, don't, 
<coughs> for things we own, things we enjoy, things people we're related to, we understand what it is to want to be able to give mercy. But our anger and our wrath is unwise, not responsible, unable to be effectuated. And same is true with our mercy. We're, we're sort of just flailing around with feelings of being a demigod and not the power to do anything. But if we thought about it for a minute, we'd begin to realize that there is a God who is the God, who has the power of the God, has the ability to read every man. Everybody will be judged justly for what he has done, whether it be good or evil. You'll be judged for every idle word that proceeds from your mouth. Every man will be judged for everything written in the books by that which he has done. We know these things are true. God is going to be just. He tells us in Romans to never avenge yourselves, for vengeance is his, he will repay. One of the greatest passages in my mind against anger says, it's not mine to make the judgment. Because when I'm angry or merciful, being a demigod, which means that I could easily have illustrations of when I cared about something and then it was taken away from me, it was a huge loss, a plant. He's sitting outside a city of people, waiting for fire to fall from heaven so that he could watch it fry. And a plant that came up in a day and died a day makes him want to die because that plant was so precious to him, exceedingly precious to him. Now, it says uh, at the last verse here, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Some of the cattle were also repenting, the king said, even the, even the cattle, get them in sackcloth, nobody eats, nobody drinks, even the cows. And God is going, yeah, and even the cows, I feel sorry for them. Should I not have mercy on them? 120,000 people, big town. Big town with only lamplight. Big town with only sewage in the streets. Big town. Full of pagan temples and pagan people. And God forgave them. God turned aside. Now, In some ways, we don't want to be just a little bit better than Jonah. And we say, okay, God can do what God wants to do. You know, Jonah, he ran away from the presence of the Lord because he wanted to get away from the thing he disapproved of. He is humbled, he is brought back, and he'll do it, but he's still going to disapprove. We think we're a little bit better and we say, okay, no, I'm not going to disapprove. I'm just going to allow this to go on. I'm going to allow what God wants to do. I'll just trust God to do the right thing. We have one more step to take here out of Luke 6. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies. <coughs> and do good and lend 
expecting, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the selfish. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Because we are sons of God, we're not just being asked to stand out of the way when God wants to do what God wants to do, whether it's justice or mercy. We're told that as sons of God, we are to be kind and loving and merciful to awful people, to the ungrateful and the selfish. It's one of my favorite verses. You'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the selfish. Oh, much easier to be kind, be kind to your friends on the same, your friends group on the email, and you get raise some, te, you know, support for a, what do they call it? GoFundMe. GoFundMe or a Kickstarter or whatever. You want to help your friends, and if they ever said anything bad about you in high school, ain't no way, because, boy, that would be, hold it, that's exactly what the world does. We're to be merciful even as our Father is merciful. It warns you, if you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven in the rest of this passage. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. So when we, when we learn, and are these various steps we can take, that when we sometimes are angry with God, we sometimes can't accept that it is, we have a higher position of morality than God's. That has to be correct. We have to seek out our God. We have to find out who he is and find out what a toad you are. <coughs> and then you've got to not only, and it's helpful in those situations to watch how hypocritical or how much you really do understand God, is, uh, uh, his motivations, when you put yourself in a different circumstance. You realize how righteous his mercy is. Then you have to say, I've got to, I've got to become that. I need to be a son of the Most High. If I'm not a son of the Most High, what, what, what part do I have of God? There is uh, the various passages, Be ye holy as I am holy. Be perfect as your, heavenly, your Father in heaven is perfect. These are things that we're told we must be. And some of the angst in Christian lives are people struggling with even admitting that God's opinion, which they know clearly, or God's way, that they know clearly is actually better than their way. That submission is something that should have happened at the beginning of their faith. Well, that's the end of the book. It ends with that line, also much cattle, one of the greatest endings in the Bible. Uh, you don't wrap it up with, you know, and, and remember to greet the Rufus. It's also much cattle. Well, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. You have been merciful to us. You were merciful to Jonah. You taught Jonah that your mercies were holy and that his just drove him into greater and greater sin. Help us all to learn your character and live by it. In your son's name, amen.